I'm on. Hello. If you, I can rudely interrupt your conversations, um, that'd be great. <clears throat> and uh, really good to be with you. And just want to say thank you so much for um, giving Jean and I a, a very warm welcome, um, those that we've spoken to today, and, and just generally speaking, you know, um, being down here. I have been here, I think, before, a couple of times maybe, or at least once in the past, but it's great to be with you, and we are, we're really looking forward to being with you uh, over the coming weeks, and uh, trusting and encouraging prophetic there this morning as well, and um, so... Yeah, a very warm, and very warm welcome. If you're new to church, by the way, maybe you're new here this morning, you've never set foot in church before, uh, you are most welcome, and I get how it feels. I don't come, don't come from a church background or anything. I remember going along for the first time, and so a warm welcome to you as well. And, um, and welcome online as well. I believe there's people maybe watching on the other end of that camera, so hello to you. And uh, we're going to be looking, um, break into your John series a little bit. I'm not going with the John's Gospel series, just going to do a kind of one-off today, and then we'll be getting back into the John series after that. But if you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Chronicles, please. It's in the Old Testament, if you're new to the Bible, Old Testament, before Psalms, after Kings, if you sort of flick through... um, you know, sometimes people talk about books in the Bible and you have that sort of panic moment. Where is it? You know, I've been a Christian 25 years and there's all that moment. Well, where is that book? And flicking through and all the rest of it. But anyway, it's in Old Testament. Um, and turn to 2 Chronicles and to chapter 20. We'll get there, get there in a minute. Um, but this book Chronicles, if you're, um, was, was, was actually, it, 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 chronologically speaking, in terms of the way our Bibles are ordered, um, Chronicles, which was one book, one and two Chronicles was one book, was actually at the end of the Bible. It was the last book and in, in the sort of Jewish scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures. And um, Israel at the time had had, had loads of um, stuff had gone on in their history, coming out of Egypt, redemption, and then into the promised land, the building of the temple, and then exile, and all sorts of things like that have gone on. So their kind of journey has been a little bit like that, and they're on a little bit of a down maybe, because they're kind of, maybe heads are down a bit, they're looking back on this history thinking, well, hang on, these promises that have been spoken about, all this promise of this Messiah, of the restoration of the kingdom, not fulfilled yet. And they're kind of looking back, and so the writer of Chronicles in one sense, is writing to these people who might be discouraged, their hopes are fading, their heads are down a little bit, and he's writing to them to remind them of who God is, about God's faithfulness to his people, and maybe to provoke a fresh sense of seeking God again, to restore their trust in God and hope in God and their faithfulness and their obedience to God as well. And so if you're feeling a little bit like that, um, you know, heads down, hope fading or anything like that, or discouraged, then hopefully the writer and what what he writes here in God's word will lift our heads. And in fact, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul, he writes, for everything that was written in the past, referring to the scriptures, the Old Testament, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Everything. So the story that we're going to look at today, my expectation is that we're going to be encouraged through that, that our heads will be lifted through it, that God will do something in us and then through us um, for the glory of his name. And so we're going to pick through the story of two chronicles, and we're going to focus on this king called Jehoshaphat. And uh, through two chronicles, they tend to focus on the kings who were based in Jerusalem. 
and ruling in Jerusalem. And uh, they're in the line of this King David, if you've heard of him. And uh, Jehoshaphat ruled over Judah. The kingdom of divided. And so there's kind of two parts of the kingdom. And you've got Judah and Jehoshaphat ruling over those people. And he was a good king. The kings, there was a mixture. There was a mixed bag of kings. If you've read Kings and Chronicles, you, you read this mixed bag of people. Some of them are really on it and following God and looking to restore his ways. And others are bad kings and they don't do the nation any good. And Jehoshaphat was a good king. Doesn't mean he was perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But he was a guy who wanted to put God first. So let's just pray a moment. Lord, I ask you to do what you promise here, really, which is to bring hope and encouragement to us. That's what the gospel does. It's what you do, Jesus. It's in your very nature to do that. And I pray that, Father, individually, but for LCC as well as a whole. We pray, Lord, God, keep, keep in few. Thank you for the encouragement that's come through, through truth in songs we've sung, through uh, prophetic words that encourage and build up. And now I pray as we look at your word that you keep encouraging us and building us up in your name. Amen. So, Jehoshaphat, one day he woke up, as you've done this morning, I hope. And he woke up and he maybe surveyed his kingdom and looked out the window and sort of looking at, I don't know, his houses and plants, whatever. Anyway, he's looking at his kingdom and he's kind of, maybe all is good on that morning. Until he gets some unexpected news. Let's read first two verses of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Maronites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Unexpected news. You know, maybe you wake up and the day is going well, and you think life's good, and then there's suddenly something happens in our days. And for Jehoshaphat, he had not just one army at his door, he had an alliance, a powerful alliance of three armies sitting on his doorstep, effectively, around 15 miles away. So think about a massive army bearing down from Loddon or Southwold, maybe, approximately-ish, 15 miles, bearing down. And you hear of this news. How do you feel at that moment? It's not, I don't know how you respond when that happens, but things are going to come our way sometimes in... Um, uh, Psalm 112 verse 7 says, My heart will not fear when bad news comes. Not if bad news comes, but when bad news comes. It's going to happen, isn't it? And it happened for Jehoshaphat. An army is bearing down on his door. Ever happened to you? I bet the majority in this room can say, yeah, we've had those days when we've woken up and things have seemed good and then suddenly maybe there's a phone call Maybe it's to do with our health, or maybe it's to do with our job or finances. Maybe at the moment with the, 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 the rise in gas and electricity, maybe that is like one of these things. It's like, wow, hang on a minute, I don't know how I'm going to handle that. It's bad news, it's not good news, it's challenging. Maybe it's family news. You know, Jean and I, we are the proud grandparents of a beautiful little girl called Isla. She's two and a half years old. But just over three years ago, um, we came home to a letter on our bed from our daughter who was 16 and a half years old saying that she was pregnant. It was not the news, you know, that I was expecting, that we were expecting. 
And I've got to be honest, at that moment, it was like having my legs taken under from me. I was like, what? Of course, a new baby is wonderful news, isn't it? It's beautiful, you know, new life. But it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what we maybe wanted in that way. And by the way, I've asked Beth if I can share this, and she's cool with it. But those moments, what do we do in those moments? How do you respond in those moments? Well, we read here in verse 3, it says this. First thing it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Oh, it's a fairly normal reaction. To be honest, if I heard that there were three armies bearing down on Lowestoft who are currently in Loddon, I'd be a bit afraid, wouldn't you? They're coming to evade. These are powerful enemies allianced against them. I'd be afraid too. And so when we hear these things, it could be denial, it could be fear, it could be panic, it could be anxiety, it could be doubts, it can be questions. These are kind of normal reactions. And maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you've walked in this morning and thought, well, yeah, I'll go along to church, and, but actually I've just had this news. And you've walked in here and maybe no one else even knows about it. In fact, I remember this news when Beth shared this with us. It was a Friday night and I was preaching on that Sunday. I thought, what do I do? What, what do I do right now at this moment? And, and other leaders were on sabbatical and things like that. And, and I was preaching from Joshua where it says, be strong and courageous. So I thought, well, all right, I'll go and preach to myself on Sunday morning. And I did. I stood up. No one else at that point knew, and we're grappling. My mind is kind of whatever. I thought, Lord, I've just got to preach this. Be strong and courageous. And maybe it's taking courage for you to come here this morning, and you're facing things. Well, we may start there in fear and shock and panic and anxiety and doubts and questions. But the next thing he does is this. He says, Jehoshaphat was afraid, and, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout Judea, and he turned his attention to. I don't know, where, you, where do you go in those moments? What do you do in those moments when the unexpected happens, when the phone call comes, when the news arrives at your door? What do you do in those moments? Where do you go? To what or to whom do you go? And we all do it, by the way. Again, if you're here, you're not a Christian, and or you don't believe in God or anything like that, then when bad news comes, you will go somewhere for some kind of help and peace or salvation of some sort. We do go somewhere. And I believe that where we turn to in those moments, where we go to in our most desperate moments, reveals our ultimate trust, reveals where our ultimate trust is, what we're looking for to rescue us from that moment. So where do you go? That's an important question to ask. And I remember that night, I went out on this Friday night, and I went out for a walk um, in the evening. And, um, and as I walked down, our, we live in a little village on the edge of Norwich called Trouse, and I walked down the road, and uh, there's a little Anglican church there, an old, old church building, and they have a, a, a cross that's lit up on the um, church tower there. And I remember just walking past that and looking at that and thinking, okay, Lord, I don't know which way is up at the moment, but somehow I know that's the way through. <laughs> It's through the cross, somehow. And, and the cross isn't a pretty thing, is it? Is it? If you look at the cross, you know, we have these nice diamond-encrusted crosses nowadays and pretty crosses. The cross is ugly, horrible, vile, brutal, 
painful, shameful. Vulnerability was there. I mean, it was, that's what the cross is. And sometimes in those moments, that's how we feel. It's all a bit of a mess. It doesn't feel beautiful and tidy and neat and all the rest of it. But somehow it's through the cross. It's walking Jesus' ways. It's what he said if you're a disciple, didn't he? Take up your cross daily and follow me. And so I knew, I didn't know the way through all this. I didn't know the end of the story. And we don't know the end of the story, do we, when we go through things? But somehow I knew if we walked the way of the cross, at least in the mess and the vulnerability and the pain and the shame and the guilt and all the other things that come with these things, that it's redemptive, that there's resurrection on the other side of it. Isn't that the gospel? See, it's not the gospel just when we become a Christian. Jesus is good news every, every day. The gospel rescues us every day in every situation that we're in. It's redemptive. And so we don't avoid the cross and, and kind of avoid the pain, the shame, all the other things. We go through. And I knew that that would be the way through. He had turned his attention to the Lord. See, God's plans are always threatened in some kind of way. There will always be challenges. You see that shot through the scriptures. You see it in, the, in Jesus the, when he's born. You've got King Herod who didn't like this other king coming on the scene. And so he thinks, well, I'll wipe out the, the children from two-year-old and young younger. Because he's got to catch this Jesus in it. And Jesus had been told to go and his family to go and go to Egypt. And so they escaped that. But there was, there was brutal Challenge. When Jesus faces his temptation, temptations, there's challenge. I mean, the cross doesn't look like victory, does it? When someone's crucified. It's not like, oh yeah, brilliant, sorted, this is it. God's ways are always challenged, and, and, and often it doesn't look like victory. It doesn't look like that. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? In that challenging moment for him, he turned his attention to the Father. Jehoshaphat turned his attention to the Lord. Jesus turned his attention to the Father. Where do we turn our attention to when things are tough, when enemies are on our doorstep, when we don't know what to do? And then verse 4 says this. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. That word seek is there three times, by the way, in these few verses. To seeking God. They came together. They didn't stay on their own. They came together as a community of faith in a challenging time. They recognized their need for one another. And we know COVID has been a bit of a pain, hasn't it? To say the least, in terms of gathering together whether it's life groups or community groups on Zoom or you know, people still maybe not feeling able to gather back in. I totally get it. It's, it's throwing a massive spanner in the works. But we mustn't... That's not the goal, is it, to kind of keep like this. The goal is to be together. And it's so important we have those relationships in church life that we can be together, that we can go to when things do hit when it's tough, that we can talk to people, we can be real with one another, that we, we come together even when it's being difficult. And I know a very small amount, really, but I know it's been hard for you guys. And, but we come together in those moments. We trust God together. We walk with God together. And isn't that, again, what the gospel does? The gospel brings people together. It's beautiful. We don't remain distant from one another. We come together. And whether that's Sunday mornings, whether that's in community groups or in coffee shops throughout the week, we come together. 
And that's what they did. A community of faith together in a challenging time. And then we read in verse 4, 6 to 11, um, chapter 20, verse 6 to 11, sorry, is that they start to pray. And they start to remind themselves of, of who God is, uh, of what God has done and what God will do. They say, pray this prayer. You're God in heaven. You're powerful. And as we worship and we pray together in times like this, we're reminding ourselves of who God is. And so when things seem challenging, if you've got three armies on your door, you've got this massively powerful alliance on your doorstep, it can seem overwhelming if your attention is on that. But that's why he turned his attention to the Lord, because he's genuinely greater than that. If he's not, we're all in trouble. Genuinely. If God isn't bigger than our situations that we go through, if God isn't greater than those things and able to do something about it, well, it's not God. And so he reminded himself, how about you? What do you do? Do we keep staring at the alliance and the problem, the enemy, the thing that's bearing down on us, the thing that's causing us anxiety, the thing that's causing us stress, the thing that's causing us pain? Do we make that our focus of our attention? Please don't do that. Turn your attention to the Lord as they did in prayer. They reminded themselves. And when Jesus was in Gethsemane and he gets up after that, he's about to face an alliance who are against him, isn't he? Because into the Garden of Gethsemane, it's not just kind of Judas on his own. You've got the Jewish authorities, Roman authorities. You've got the political powers and the religious powers and social powers all bearing down on Jesus in the garden. So if you ever wonder, does Jesus, does God know what it's like to experience this? What's the answer? Yes. And therefore he can what? Sympathize with us in our weakness when we go through. He knows. And so Jesus there in the garden, these kind of armies, alliance bearing down on him. Well, what does Jesus do? Well, it says in John 18 verse 4, Jesus knowing all that was coming went out and faced them. He didn't retreat back, but he kind of stepped forward into it. And he said, who do you seek? That's a great question. It's actually the first thing Jesus says in John's gospel, recorded as saying in John's gospel. Who are you looking for? Who do you seek? It's a really key question, particularly when we face difficult times. Who are you going to go seeking? Who are you seeking? It reveals again where our faith is at. And they say, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus' response in that moment is, do you, do you know it? If you know your Bible, I know if you're new to it, you probably go, no, I ain't got a clue, never read the Bible. That's fine. But if you know it, what does Jesus say in that moment? I am he. I am. And again, think of I am. Who's the I am? Old Testament, Moses, God reveals himself. What shall I say? Call him. I am who I am. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is God with us. Jesus reveals himself in that moment. And their response, the enemy's response, who came into the garden to arrest Jesus, the authorities who apparently have all power, Jesus steps forward and what happens to them? They fall back. Who's in charge here? Seriously, who's in charge here? You see, in the most desperate of circumstances, Jesus isn't a victim to a directionless drama. He's not a victim to circumstance. And as you read through the passion narrative, the stories of Jesus as he goes to the cross, it's like, man, he's in charge. 
You can just see it in his confrontation with Pilate and all the other situations. Jesus isn't a victim here. He gave his life. And that gives us confidence when we face things like that. We put our trust in the I am who said, I will always be with you. And then we read down a bit more in verse 12. It says, I love this. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are, what? We are sorted, strong, we've got this. No, we are powerless before this great multitude. We can't do it. You're coming, who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Again, where's our attention turned in times like that? Where's your attention turned? Where's your hope for the next season of LCC? It's got to be to the Lord, isn't it? We don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, we're not walking in with a you know, master plan of anything. <laughs> don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And we do that together as a community, don't we? Our eyes are on him. They admitted their weaknesses. I just love that. We have no power. And that's a great place. That's actually the starting point as well for becoming a Christian. Really, is is not great. I'm a, generally a good person. I think I can do what Jesus says. Um, if I try really, really hard, I'll, I'll do all this stuff. And um, great, I'll crack on with being a Christian. And no, the starting point of a Christian is I'm powerless. The enemies that are against me, Satan, sin, and death, are too big for me. And I can't deal with that. But my eyes are on you. For you to do something, you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. That was what their confidence was in. It's the start of our Christian life, and it is the ongoing daily walk of our Christian life, isn't it? Isn't it? Don't know what to do, Lord. But my eyes are on you. They admitted their weakness, and it's so important that we're able to do that. It's okay to say that. It is okay. We don't always have to have the answers for everything. It's okay to admit it. We haven't got it. But then it goes on. They look to God for help, but our eyes are on you. There is that expectancy. And, I, and the morning, and the next morning after Beth had shared this news with us, and, and uh, we got to bed and got some sleep, and the next morning I got up and I walked into my little room I have um, where I just sort of read and pray and work sometimes in my chair and sat down in my chair, and I just said to God, God, you've got to give me something. <laughs> you've got to give me something here. Because I don't know what to do. <laughs> My eyes are on you, but I genuinely do not know what to do. And I wasn't reading this book at the time, but I randomly picked up this book off a shelf next to me called How Children Raise Parents. <laughs> it's a good book. <laughs> it's just a good title, isn't it? If you've got kids, you kind of go, oh, yeah. And I randomly opened it up. Again, wasn't reading it. I, haven't, I, haven't, I dog-eared books normally, turn pages open. This isn't even dog-eared. I've read it since, but... And I opened it to these words. Literally, these are the first words I read. Nothing my son or daughters will do can alter the plan and passion of God. The illegitimate pregnancy does not derail his story. The collapse of our dreams or rise, the kindness and fidelity of those we love are all the scribbling of our genius God. Listen to that. The illegitimate pregnancy does not derail his story. I mean, what are the odds? Literally reading those words, the first thing I read. Now, it doesn't always happen like that. Please hear me. But if there was something I needed in the moment to be reminded of, it was that God's in control and God's got this and God can work through these things. He's not going to derail the story. And I don't know what to do, Lord. But we're about to go into a day of conversation 
and talking. And Lord, I just need your grace and I need to know what to say. And it's trusting that God will help us. It might be through something like that. It might be through a scripture you read. It might be through, um, it might be through a conversation with someone. Again, I remember over COVID just struggling and just feeling really low one day and thinking, I feel pretty discouraged today, Lord. I could do with some encouragement today. I could just, 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 I could do with a bit of encouragement. And a phone call came out of the blue that day by a chap called Ray Lowe. Some of you may know the name. Ray was involved with us in the church in Norwich for years and years and years and years. Wonderful guy. Haven't seen him for years and years and years and years. And that day he phoned up. Just said, I was praying for you and Jean this morning. Just thought I should call you. But don't ignore those promptings. <laughs> Whether it's a phone call, a text, or send someone a card, or whatever it might be, you never know how God might use you in that. Encourage one another what? Weekly? Occasionally? Daily. Look for ways to do that. You just never know what you're stepping into. We need help in that moment. They look to God for help. Our eyes are on you. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the antidote to growing weary and losing heart is what? Consider Jesus. It means spend time, read the Gospels. Allow the stories of who Jesus is and what he's done to permeate your life and to speak into your life. And it'll bring you strength. And then they went on. They trusted God ways. I'm not going to spend too much time. They listened to God. They stepped out then. And they stepped out actually into kind of, it didn't make sense. Go out and worship. Go out and give thanks before this army bearing down. It wasn't, humanly speaking, this wasn't a good strategy. But then let's face it. The cross, humanly speaking, it wouldn't be our strategy, was it? God, Messiah, yeah, let's have him crucified. Because we think that's going to be the answer. And Peter thought that in the garden as well, because he gets his sword out and lops one of the servants' ears off, because he thinks somehow, actually, Jesus wants to stop you from dying, because it cannot be that way. And how often do we do that in situations? We jump in and sort of, humanly speaking, well, I'll get my sword out. I'll try and fix it myself. It always goes a bit belly up. And we need, we need Jesus to step in, don't we, and heal an ear or two. And go, okay, I've made a bit of a mess of that. And Simon needed to go through stuff himself. Simon Peter needed to go through some things, didn't he? To learn, no, Jesus got this in hand. And his ways are better than our ways. They're different. But we follow his ways through. And that's what we do together. Daily, it's what we do together as a community. And then they first 20 is they stepped out in faith. So we've got prayer, we've got fasting here, we've got worship, we've got thankfulness, they trusted God's word. You've got prophetic here. You've got all this stuff in these verses and I've not got time to go into. But this beautiful phrase in verse 20 says, they put their trust in the Lord. Or it says, put your trust in the Lord and you will be established. You'll be established. God will be put things back together. It's what he does. It's what he does. He, he weaves through the, our broken lives, our messed up circumstances, our difficult situations as we follow him through these things. He will genuinely work in and through them because he works through the cross. And that is our hope, isn't it? It's our hope for going forward together as a church. That's our hope. We fix our eyes on him. So shall we do that? Let's stand. And um, if um, worship guys want to come back up as well, I think we're going to sing again. And... Um, I think we're going to take communion. Um, hey, I'll try, actually, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, can have one of these. These are awkward, aren't they? Is it just me that finds these awkward? Fair enough, you might not want to even stand up and do this. You might want to sit down and carefully open it without spilling it on your lap. 
But look, we know we'd rather have maybe a cup and, 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 and bread and a loaf and all the rest of it. But hey, we've got this communion. And if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then and don't feel like you know, this isn't for you. This is about those that are following Jesus, saying, actually, yeah, my life is, is in your story. In the blood, the death of Jesus, that's what this represents. And in, in the, the, the little wafer thing that represents bread, the body of Christ broken for us. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus said. And so by doing this together now, what we're basically saying is, hey, <laughs> we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Yeah, that's really what we're saying. And we're saying that for our personal circumstances, and we're saying it for our community together. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And he's very good at shepherding. Do you know that, Jesus? He's very good at leading people through things. He's very good. And he's very faithful as well. So Lord, we take this bread. I'm going to try and open this now without spilling it. <laughs> we take this bread. There's a lovely little lyric actually that's come to mind by a guy called Josh Garrels. He says, take the bread and drink this wine and hide your, I think it's hide your life within the vine." You know, in Jesus. Hide your life within him. Abide in him. And that's what we're doing when we take this, Lord. We remind ourselves of the gospel of grace. We take your, this bread reminds us of your broken body given for us. Lord, and the, the wine, the juice, Lord, we take reminding of your blood spilt for us, Lord, that actually we didn't need someone just to come and give us some good ideas about how to do life. We needed someone to come and sort the the biggest enemies that we have in death and sin and an enemy who just wants to utterly derail our lives. And, and Lord, by taking this together, we're saying, we don't know what to do, Lord, but we put our trust in you. We look to you and we're trusting you to keep leading us through this season and into all the things that you have for us, Lord, in the coming weeks and months and years for this church and even future generations, for people that are not born yet in livestock. Lord, you've called us to, to build with that in mind. And I pray you keep speaking to us, leading us and guiding us together into the things that you've got for us to walk in together. In your name. Amen.